When you envision the ideal experience for your brewery guests, point of sale probably isn't at the top of your list. It's the transactional finality to their visit. What you need is a point of service. Arrived is the first mobile, flexible, customizable point of service system built for craft breweries. It adapts and grows with you on-premise and online. Your staff will love the simplicity, your managers will love the world-class support team, and your guests will love that they can get the same delicious beer with the same amazing service from anywhere. Fall in love with your point of sale. Fall in love with Arrived. This is Andy Crouch, and welcome to the Beer Edge Podcast. Welcome back to the Beer Edge Podcast. This is our final episode of the year. We'll be back next year with a new slate of episodes and a new look at the craft beer industry. Until then, we're back with the second part of our end of the year 2020 roundtable with some of our favorite folks in beer. If you missed part one, here's where I suggest you go back and give it a listen. I'm again joined by the inimitable Neil Witte, the irrepressible Carla Jean Lauder, the unstoppable Josh Noel, John Hall. I start us off with some doom and gloom COVID talk. We're seeing a lot of bars and, and uh, bars, especially in restaurants, go into, you know, like a hiatus. They're, they're going on hibernation. You know, we're seeing this less in, in the beer world for a variety of reasons. But, you know, in, in more of the hospitality trade, we're seeing places decide, you know, with these lean winter months coming, you know, we're, it's just a, a money losing uh, proposition to stay open. And I think one of the places that's, you know, a little bit surprised me with this, or it really hit me, you know, and I, I'm, you know, being from Chicago was seeing Hopleaf, uh, one of the, you know, mm. the country's great beer bars mm. that is expanded from a sort of a tiny one room uh, bar into just a, a sort of a mammoth you know, Disney World of great classic beer and presentation and food um, shutter its doors for some period of time and, and see its owner, Michael Roper, say, you know, we're in a good position. We, you know, we hope we will survive, but, you know, things are, things are tough and we will see where we go. Um, Josh, can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, sort of what's going on with Hopleaf and, and just beer bars and, and, and bars and restaurants? How do, you, how do you think that they are going to come out the other side of this? Yeah, well, it's the, and this is uh, this is where we're still in wait and see. Earlier, we talked about how there hasn't been sort of the bloodbath that people feared, but the other side of that coin is let's let's see where we are in spring. And uh, yeah, Hopleaf is absolutely one of the the nation's great beer bars. Really, it's one of the world's great beer bars, right. um, and has been for a long time. And it's sort of evolved as beer has evolved. Um, and Michael Roper, the owner, who is just, I, I try not to quote him too much in my articles because, you know, you don't want to over rely on any one source, but he's just so thoughtful and so honest uh, and always has something fresh to say that I just wind up quoting him just uh, very often in, in my stories because he just brings perspective that other people don't. Um, but he... Um, he had all these ideas about trying to slog it out through the winter and early on he said, well, maybe I'll be open 
uh, Friday, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday through winter and I'll put a fire pit out back and see if people be into hanging out in their coats and drinking a beer on the fire and so forth. And then Illinois shut down indoor uh, eating and drinking again in late October. And there's no sign that, you know, they're going to back off of that. And uh, he just said, I'm, I just, my business is not translated as a to-go business or a delivery business uh, outdoor in Chicago is just, you know, trying to make it that way as a fool's errand. And I'm just going to close until spring. And if I, and I'm going to stay closed until there's indoor dining again. And the wild card there though, is that even once there is to what degree will people be comfortable with that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, you know, things are, are very uncertain and, and there could still be some massive fallout there. Uh, and that's just sort of one of the more prominent examples of something that uh, a lot of great beer bars are experiencing, and they don't have the leg up that the breweries do. And, you know, Neil said something that is completely true for me as well, is that I, I have made a point to go support breweries directly. Pretty much every drop of beer I've bought since this thing started has been from a brewery to make sure that the brewery, it, I buy from breweries I love, I buy the beers <laughs> I love, uh, and I buy it at the breweries I love to make sure that every cent of profit goes to those breweries. I have not bought anything from a beer store. Sorry, beer stores. I love you. But, uh, you know, it, it's the manufacturers that obviously are the, the engine of the whole thing. Um, and Hop Leaf and those kinds of places don't really have that advantage. Um, so there's, there's a lot of uncertainty there. John, the you know, I know we've talked a lot over the last you know year or so about you know the the sorry state of beer bars in the U.S. and you know we've talked to a lot of owners you know in that time who have you know complained and grumbled about how how they spent so many years supporting small breweries only to have them sort of rise up and with the taproom model come and usurp some of their business um, and there was you know some a lot of grumbling about that. How do you think? you know, beer bars are going to do, you know, with the twin problems of a pandemic and the competition from, from tapper and breweries. Do we see a future where uh, these beer bars are, are going to be able to survive, thrive and, and keep going? I guess, that, that sounds like it's a really great Neil question. No. Okay. <laughs> um, well, you know, I see the, I see that dynamic as being, uh, very similar to what it was pre-pandemic, right? Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think I don't, I'm just not sure that that's, that's changed a whole lot, really. Um, I think uh, they're, they're both in a worse spot. Um, and I, it, you know, and, and that kind of gets back to a little bit of, you know, what I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, what is the what is it that is that difference between you know the beer bars and the breweries uh, where there's so many beer bars or restaurants that are having to shutter whereas the uh, whereas breweries aren't um, you know and and maybe you know uh, maybe the pinch is you know is exposing the you know the impact that the the taproom brewery model has been having on beer bars this whole time 
right? Mm -hmm. That, uh, you know, we all know that, you know, this, that the proliferation of the taproom model has affected the on-premise business, um, but we haven't really seen that manifested in some type of tangible way. But now that everything's been pinched so much and that everybody's business across the board has been hurt so significantly that, you know, the, you're seeing some of the impact with the beer bars, like the hop leaves of the world, uh, as if there's more than one hop leaf, um, you know, having to, having to shut down over the winter, whereas, you know, tap rooms are pivoting in a way where, where they're able to sustain. So, you know, maybe that, you know, kind of, that the impacts that they've been having this whole time for the past several years is really just now manifesting itself because times are so tough. Yeah. And I, yeah. Go, go ahead, John. No, I was going to say, and I'll agree with that because it, I think the big difference has been in the last 10 years or so is that most bars that open up now will have decent taps, you know, or decent beer selections. And it's certainly going to be better than it was 10 years ago, you know, so you can get, you know, maybe one or two local taps and, you know, you're going to get a, a decent Sierra Nevada or, you know, whatever it is, uh, as opposed to just like three taps of Bud Miller Coors, you know, because because any restaurant that opens up these days understands the importance of craft. I think the the, the biggest thing is most major cities in the U.S. have one, two, maybe three really great OG craft beer bars and the loss of them is going to be felt you know because it, bars come and go you know restaurants come and go um but when we think about falling rock or the avenue pub or most tavern or you know toronado or any of these other places that have been around that actually helped foster an industry those are the ones that i think are worth protecting overall because it's not just a great place to go for a beer but it's a great place that is like soaked in history uh, in the same way that, you know, a Sierra Nevada is or, you know, these other breweries that have been around for 40, 30, 25 years. Um, so, so that to me is the, is the bigger worry. You know, I, I, I don't want to see any bars or restaurants go out of business, but, you know, it, it, it's the ones that have been carrying this torch for a long time and doing it really well that I'm most concerned about. We have seen over this year, you know, obviously a, a great deal of change. And I think Neil, when we last met, you were giving a presentation to the Maine Brewers Guild as part of your role as the quality ambassador at the Brewers Association. Yep. And then shor shortly thereafter, you know, the BA, you know, laid off quite a few people, including yourself in that role due to substantial budget cuts. You know, so what was your response to that? And actually, what have you been up to since that point? Because I, I know it's been you know, you haven't just been sort of sitting around. It's been pretty busy. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I did make reference to, you know, my, my own personal reflection, you know, around the time when things were shutting down. Uh, you know, the, the BA obviously, you know, had to slash budgets across the board and, and I was part of that. Um, I was, I, you know, I wasn't on the payroll, but I, you know, I had a regular contract that had been going on for about three years, a little over three years for that ambassador position. It was, it was an awesome role. I had a great time doing it, but it was, you know, uh, it was also something that was a, you know, a little bit of money coming in, uh, you know, and I have a, I have a business that, where I do consulting on, 
on marketplace quality issues and I do, uh, you know, draft system installation and, and things like that. And that it pretty much dried up for a good few months there at the beginning as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to, to have been and still am employed as a part-time employee of Cicerone certification program. Um, but, you know, the, I think maybe one of the biggest ways that uh, the pandemic impacted me early on is, is, you know, I had been planning the rollout of a draft quality certification program. I'd been, you know, laying the groundwork and working on a business plan and, and working in earnest on it for a good year and a half leading up to that. And I had planned on rolling this out in April. So that was really great timing. <laughs> um, solid, <laughs> solid timing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like so, launching a media company in late 2019. Yeah, that was, yeah. that's also a solid idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that really didn't work out too well. Um, but, you know, I'd put, I, you know, I'd invested a lot of time and money into, uh, into getting it ready to go. Um, you know, and I shelved those plans, but come, you know, June, I was like, you know, there's a lot of need for something like this because that was, you know, around that time, things were just starting to open back up. Uh, you know, I had been doing quite a bit of, of work, you know, through Cicerone and through the Brewers Association with the committees that I work on in trying to get the word out about maintaining draft systems when they're shut down. And, and I'm hearing all kinds of, you know, stories about, you know, uh, or, you know, just all kinds of stuff about what's going to happen with all these old kegs that are out there. So, you know, I'm just seeing like quality crisis on the horizon, really, you know, just a proliferation of out of code beer out in the marketplace, draft systems that haven't been maintained. And I'm like, you know, if, if there's ever a time to do some type of draft quality certification, it's right now, but I, it, but it's absolutely the wrong time to introduce any type of paid service like this that nobody knows about. So mm -hmm. I decided to go ahead and move forward with my business plan only provided as a free service. So uh, it's called Tapstar and I am providing, you know, I'm, I'm doing all of the functions of the certification program only it's uh, for the time being it's it's free. And so I have, uh, you know, I've, I had going into this, you know, as part of my original plan, I had roughly 20, 25 places that had committed to be early adopting accounts. Um, I have right now 16 on board that are certified accounts in the Kansas City area. Um, and I've got, you know, several more that are on board. I've got a few that, that haven't quite managed to pass yet. Um, and I've got some others that, you know, just quite aren't quite in the right place to be able to do that. And I'm, you know, I'm not being really pushy about this because it's a really difficult time for everybody. Um, but, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, if, if I, within a couple of months, I could probably have another, you know, five or six more and get right about to where my original business plan was. Uh, so uh, 
what I'm doing is uh, essentially voting those businesses within, uh, you know, my social media channels and doing whatever I can to, to help them out and try and drive business to them and try and, you know, kind of raise awareness about draft quality and get consumers to go drink beer there if they're going to go out and drink beer. So, you know, that's part of my difficulty with this right now is that I can't do the types of promotions that I want to do. And it is a little awkward trying to get people to go drink beer at bars when it's not really necessarily safe to go drink beer <laughs> yeah. at bars. So, you know, it's, it's recognizing places that have great patios as part of it, you know, things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, my goal with it right now is to give, if, if there's any potential for this to provide some assistance to these local businesses uh, in a really tough time, then that's awesome. You know, if, if it means a couple more people show up to drink beer there, uh, you know, that they decide to go there, if they're deciding to go out and, and drink a beer, then, then, you know, I've helped out a little bit. So that's part of it. Um, the other part is to raise awareness about draft quality issues, because, you know, like I said, now's a really crazy time and the potential for there to be really, uh, kind of egregious quality issues is, is really high. You know, when, when I've been doing some of these audits, I mean, I was doing some of these audits in like, you know, July and August, and there was a lot of really old beer and out of code beer out in the marketplace. And, you know, it was, it was pretty bad there, you know, uh, without naming names, there were some distributors that were literally delivering out of code beer to retail. And if they weren't paying attention to it, they were just simply getting out of code beer right off the bat. Oh, oh come on. Na name some names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're on a call with four other reporters. This is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely not naming names. Uh, so, you know, so I want, you know, insofar as I can raise awareness with these people about these issues, that helps to raise awareness with consumers about draft quality issues and hopefully uh, build a brand in the meantime, you know, get the name out there, start, you know, uh, promoting it a little bit and hopefully, you know, when, if and when things return to a point where people can get back out and feel comfortable going out and feel safe going out drinking beer, uh, that it's going to be easier for me to grow this into a self-sustaining business, which was my original intent. So that's a lot of what I've been up to. Josh, I know things have been sort of up and down and kind of crazy with your work at the Chicago Tribune. And I'm certainly interested in hearing how things are going there and the, certain, the battle with, with management and the ownership. But I also know that you, you've transitioned a little bit out of beer writing this year uh, in covering some other areas. But I, one question I'd like to pose to everyone, and I'll start with you, is what do you think are, you know, what is the most important story you've covered this year or the most important story you've seen somebody else cover this year? Uh, and it can be in the beer space or not in the beer space. And it's just not, not just generally the pandemic, but, you know, more specifically, what is, what has been something that's been particularly meaningful to you? Oh, geez. Um, well, actually I'm going to sort of run around that question a little bit because as Neil was talking, got me thinking of something ahead and, you know, we're always thinking about what's, what's the next thing we're going to write. And, 
you know, it's been fascinating to write, and I will try to also answer your question, uh, to write about how everyone has adapted to what's going on uh, for the last eight, nine months. Uh, obviously, the lens through which I've done it has been uh, the brewing industry and the restaurant industry pretty much. Um, the whole Chicago Tribune staff is basically on the story and, you know, everyone's telling it through their lens, which is, you know, the healthcare lens or the political lens, or, you know, even the sports department, you know, is telling it through the sports lens. Um, but, uh, coming up, I, I think how, you know, okay, so we're, we're here on, um, at, at the edge of this vaccine thing happening, uh, I don't think we're going to be back to quote unquote normal for quite a while, probably. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting to watch the industry start up again and the form that takes. And it's not going to be a switch is flipped. And as Neil talked about, there's going to be, you know, draft systems and shambles. There's going to be old, old beer in the market. Um, it's going to be a fascinating thing to watch uh, the whole thing flicker back to life and it will probably be a slow flicker and it's going to be, uh, you know, it's unprecedented. I mean, again, no one's, no one's gone through this. No one, this wasn't yeah. in anyone's business plan. No one's navigated this before. And it's going to be a fascinating story and an ongoing story to watch these businesses uh, take, you know, take their first baby steps back into the new, you know, the post vaccine world, which hopefully is, a, a healthier world, literally and figuratively. Um, I mean, it's just it, it's been it's been a hell of a time to be a, a journalist, no matter what you're writing. Yeah. Um, um, okay. So now, what's your you, question? Why, I don't, why, don't you, I mean, why don't you answer my question now? <laughs> uh, it's it's such, it's an overwhelming question. I don't I don't know that there's an answer. I mean, it's been. So it's been all consuming every minute of every day, you know, and again, it's like through whatever lens you want and then throw on top of it, uh, you know, a completely dysfunctional federal government and a presidential election in the middle of it. I mean, I, that, that's yeah. the story of the year, you know. Arrived all the way. It's a system built by people who worked in the industry and they regularly check in with their clients for not only support, but ways they can potentially grow or help you pivot and readjust as needed. I've worked with all the major systems out there, and I would never pick another service, says Katie Neerling, the GM of Scott Brewstillery, about Arrived. John, what is, uh, and this question is actually for you here, uh, what, you know, what, is, you know, what is the most important story that you, or one of the more meaningful stories that you've seen this year? And they don't have to be as, as large and consequential as a national presidential election, but just even something small. No, I, I, I think at this point, Everything has been large and consequential this year. Um, the fact that we've all largely been home has magnified what's been happening around the country. And you know, the country changed by and large over Memorial Day weekend with the murder of George Floyd. And the, the conversation amid a pandemic became you know, equality and social justice and making sure that, you know, voices that didn't have a voice suddenly did and that everybody was listening. And that keeps getting 
tossed around and beat up uh, amid the pandemic because, you know, that is the dominant story in everybody's life right now because it is economic, because it is social, because it is political, it is everything else. Um, but I think that the coverage over the summer and that has continued, you know, even with Beer Edge um, within the last couple of weeks uh, is critically important. And if COVID is going to be with us, uh, at least in our psyche for the next generation, uh, we need to make sure um, that everything ha that happened over the summer, uh, you know, relating to Black Lives Matter and you know, thinking about uh, equality for everybody continues in the same vein and that, you know, real progress starts to be made. And so uh, that to me was the bigger story amid a big story. And, you know, people really started paying attention and people started having difficult conversations and difficult conversations are continuing and they're, you know, hard to have, but they're necessary. And the second that we take our foot off of that gas pedal and, and stop doing it, um, we, we lose. So we can't. Carla, how about you? I mean, it's hard because I haven't been traditionally covering things in news. You know, like the biggest story is kind of a weird question for me. But one of the things that has happened that I have been really following and kind of like really embracing over, you know, over this past year is essentially what our relationship to breweries is um, and how the state is seeing that versus how the Brewers Guild is seeing that versus how the, uh, you know, kind of how the individual brewery entities are seeing that. And I think that there's a lot there. Um, and, and recently, probably the biggest story in our state is that they've rolled out a uh, relief grant program for restaurants, breweries, bars, and tasting rooms so that you can apply to the state to get um, funding to help you survive this pandemic because the federal government hasn't done anything to help anybody in that situation. So, so we, as a, as a state are trying to, you know, take the little funding that we do have and, and, and support that service industry, which we know is so critical. And I think that one of the things I, you know, will say to reflect on is that the main Brewers Guild in general has done a really good job of basically, you know, pushing its credibility. And this is a big part of our industry. And this is a part of the income of Maine. And it is essential. It is a larger part of the ecosystem that is Maine and that we have to do something to keep this part of our industry. And I, I, when I first moved here, you know, beer in Maine was kind of like, Oh yeah, we have some breweries. It's a thing. And it's move from a, you know, a funny frivolous thing to a core economic driver. Uh, and I think that that relationship between its citizens versus the tourists versus the, you know, just kind of economy as a whole is going to be something where we continue to kind of write about and think about and, you know, kind of, you know, explore. Uh, I know it's kind of a vague response, but there's, but there's a lot to that dynamic that's changed even over the last two years and now, especially during the pandemic about what our role is, you know, in the beer industry, you know, are we, you know, a vice or are we a benefit or are we the economic driver? And I think, and that conversation is going to continue. I think for myself, you know, all of the different points that each of you have brought up that are 
key, crucial, important ones. Mine is a little bit, you know, is a little bit smaller in the beer world, but I think with a sort of a wide impact, and that is the, you know, the finally the dissolution of Shelton Brothers. Uh, yes. And, and the impact, the impact that that is going to have across the. I love, I love you with the self-serving loaded question where it's like, we're all, we're all going to go for the big things. And then you're like, Hey, beer geeks, guess what? Hey, Andy's here to get your back. Hey, we, you know, we, we have to feed all audiences here. And so we got to get a little red meat to the, to the beer nerds. And, you know, for them, you know, the Shelton brothers, I've obviously covered them for a long time being here in Massachusetts and they have had, you know, a, a, not just a, a local or regional, but an, or national, but an international impact in their advocacy and, and promotion of, you know, for better and for worse over the years uh, of, of international and especially Belgian craft beer. Mm. Um, you know, with, you know, eventually the, you know, sort of the crushing debt load and the lawsuits and, and including a pretty big one that I think sunk, eventually sunk the ship out of Chicago uh, with a loss to a distributor there. You know, a lot of these breweries in in Belgium and around the world are now without an American distributor, and I think it's going to be messy in terms of uh, what happens. You know, assuming Shelton Brothers eventually goes into bankruptcy or some sort of receivership, what you know, we'll see what happens with those individual brands and and what sort of contracts or agreements were were held between all of those parties. Um, but obviously, we've not seen Cantillon in in the states regularly for quite some time. But there are plenty of other you know, other breweries that relied on the U.S. as a as a big market, and the Sheltons were, you know, one of the main ones bringing you know hundreds of those brands, you know, from Japan and Australia and and Belgium here. I think you know, with the internationalization of craft beer, we're seeing maybe the Sheltons are less important than they once were for those breweries, where maybe Cantillon once sent, you know, thirty or forty or fifty percent of their beer to the states. Now a lot of that beer is going to Japan and to China and, and other places. But I think you know the loss of, of Shelton Brothers is going to be is going to be you know a particularly big story. And I can say you know they have had influence on you know, a lot of these beer bars across the country that we're talking about. And certainly you know in Carla's area at Novara Res. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean that's the only place I could get Canty on, and that's the only reason I can get Canty on is because of the Shelton Brothers. So I, it, it's one of those things that we're going to see what, you know, happens and who fills in that space, but it's, it's incredibly impactful. Yeah. So, so to move on to just a couple more questions and then we can wrap up here. Um, just sort well, of more- Andy, I, I, uh, I, I have to interrupt because you did not direct that question to me and I'm, <gasps> and I'm chomping at the bit here. No, get it. Thank you for jumping in. Carla, touched on this, but I would like to put a finer point on the fact that there really has been very little, and in fact, since March, basically no relief for small businesses. And I think that's maybe, uh, it might be the elephant in the room that was so big that it was almost not even talked about because, you know, pretty much every other country or developed country in the world that I'm aware of has some type of relief for small mm-hmm. businesses. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that happens when the hospital beds are filling up 
And when case numbers are rising and we've seen these, you know, I guess third peak, it could be argued this is just one big peak. <laughs> but, uh, but the first thing that happens is bars and restaurants get shut down and you can't go drink beer out in public. And that's the first thing that happens. But there's no relief for any of these restaurant owners, for any of these bar owners, any of these taproom owners. There's nothing coming their way, but they're expected to bear the brunt and the responsibility of this whole thing. And, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of weight being put on their shoulders and the government is not doing anything to help. It was March 25th when the CARES Act passed and there hasn't been anything passed yeah. since. And yeah. the prospect of something happening is still incredibly uncertain and it doesn't look very likely right now. So I'd say that maybe is is one of the biggest stories for me. Here, here, Neil. Yeah, yeah. Freaking lootly, and that's the as I touched on a little bit earlier with the like Maine trying to do something. You know, like the thing is that I think that we thought by now that the federal government would do would step in in some way, or that people would you know kind of say, look, this is such a huge part of our economy. What can we do? And the fact that there has been literally no action, whereas all the other democratic, you know, first world countries are doing these types of things. It, it's really frustrating to be in the middle of, oh, we're just going to let it all die. Like what, what is the, what is the end game here? Yeah. The um, hospitality business needs a bailout. Absolutely. They do. And along the, you know, some of these other lines <laughs> yeah. of, the other three of us don't disagree. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's just, and yeah, whether or not that's going to happen. Bring right? it on. I, I, I'd love, I'd love to see it happen. I just, I don't have any faith that no. it, it's going to. Um, oh, did it, I say I had faith? I don't have faith. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one thing that we haven't quite dug through, or has been understood, or I don't know if it ever will be, is the degree to which PPP was abused and mismanaged, and how many millions of dollars went were not properly allocated yep. and spent, let's say. Absolutely. Yeah. The, yeah the, so even the, the, the part where they don't, you know, the, the federal government basically did not actually require proof that a company was, was struggling or was impacted by it. And, you know, I say this as somebody who, you know, I'm, you know, I am a law practice that was not particularly impacted, um, you know, by, by thankfully by, by COVID but I could very well, and I know other attorneys who, and other businessmen and women who have done it, they just applied for the loans, got the loans, and you know, need was not one of the criteria. And it's nothing that will, you know, now with future iterations of, of PPP, like maybe that'll change, but tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars went to people who didn't, didn't need it, and it was mistargeted. And, and, it, and it's just, what's also frustrating is it's also a symptom of just the dysfunction of our government in general, that there weren't better oversights on that, or it wasn't a better process. Like the, you know, when, when now there's all these, you know, uh, freedom of information requests where it says, okay, here are all these people who got this fraudulently or got this, you know, who probably didn't need it. It's like, of course it didn't because nobody was paying attention. You know what I mean? Nobody was following, you know, what would be a good process to make this happen or based on need, you know, as you just said. Uh, that being said, uh, my day job, uh, I was 
a recipient of that. My company got a PPP loan, but they also used it to not furlough us. So like, that's cool. Um, but that's not a hundred percent of the case for what happened. We even made right now, there's a news story that there's this particular organic farm that got a whole bunch of PPP money that doesn't even exist in Maine. It's like a shell or a typo or a, or a, you know, misconstrued for a company in Minnesota. So like there's, there's so much error there. And I think that we could have done this better. We could have done this more um, focused on the service industry. And just, there's just been such a lack of willingness to look at it critically. It's so upsetting because other countries have done this so much better than we were able to. You know, it's just, it's like, it's not as if everyone, you know, this is impossible. It's totally possible. We just really, really screwed it up. And I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't have the implications for the beer industry that I think it's going to have. Um, and that's the kind of bottom line for me is it's like, ugh. <laughs> like, we could have done so much more if we had a functioning government. Yeah, we're seeing the results of a strategy that's basically just let's ride it out. Right. So let's move into a bit of a lightning round here to yeah. just. I like how you've become questions. John McLaughlin. Hey, I'm um, just trying just to, I'm like, just trying to move, just moving <laughs> things along. Cause otherwise it'll be four hours into this podcast and like, we'll just be complaining about the state of state of the world. And I mean, I'm going to pass out at my dining room table pretty soon. This, so yeah. What is everyone, what is everyone drinking? What a great question, Carla. I am drinking uh, new realms, uh, United craft lager. Uh, which is a five and a half percent uh, lager made by Mitch Steele, who's going to be my guest on Drink Beer, Think Beer, uh, which is a podcast that I do uh, nice, coming up nice. pretty soon. Uh, and that uh, also at Wine Enthusiast, where I do some some beer reviews, uh, we gave this a pretty high rating for best beers of 2020. So that's what I'm drinking right now. And, so, uh, so this is, you know, in lieu of ads, this is the plug round. So Josh talked about the book. <laughs> You know, Neil, tap star, tap star, tap star. Let's get Carla, get in there. Everybody just. Uh, I just recently uh, submitted my first column for a new magazine in Portland, Maine called Beer and Weed. <laughs> so it's about the. Uh, I'm sorry, be- beer and weed? Yeah. That they is should quite have the- just called it Bweed. <laughs> Not my choice on the name. Uh, and I also <laughs> don't partake in any marijuana. So it's interesting, but. Uh, I'm basically a, a beer columnist over there, uh, new, newly, uh, which Congrats. is- Congrats. Um, yeah, cheers. Yeah, uh, but it's a friend of mine starting the publication, so we'll see how that goes. But we have legal mech- recreational marijuana in Maine, so they they think they want it to be kind of an upscale publication, not yeah, like- Yeah, here in Jersey too. Not, so, like a four, uh, not like a 420, like, you know, you know, neon lights kind of publication, but actually talking about, you know, kind of the bigger, mm-hmm. you know, fancier end. Uh, I am drinking a Sierra Nevada celebration because oh, I'm so a good. older millennial that like apparently in the beer industry, that's what you have to do this year is 2020 is the reverent, uh, you know, worship of 2020 uh, Sierra Nevada celebration. Can, can, I, can I tell you something really quick? So yes. Gear Patrol, which is not a thing that I'm like super aware of. I got yeah. a, I got an email from them. They were like, Hey, can you, can you send us a note about, uh, 
you know, a great beer that you enjoyed this year and we'll put you in the magazine or whatever. And I was like, sure, like this is lazy journalism, but I'll, I'll help out anyway. So I wrote, you know, 50 words about how Sierra Nevada celebration was, was great. And I really enjoyed it this year. And the editor came back to me and was like, sorry, Josh Bernstein has already written about celebration. Do you have something else? I'm like, well, fuck you, Josh, first of all. You know, but like second of all, like just want to make clear that is not the Josh on the call. Yeah, it's a it's a totally other Josh. But also, Sierra Nevada celebration is so good this year that you should have two writers. You really should. You really should. Agreed. Uh, I will say that my that is my backup beer. My first beer was Sebago Brewing Company's Fries Leap, which I still maintain is like the most underrated beer in Maine. And if you can get it, get it. It's just it's IPAs before everyone ruined IPAs. Okay. Hey, uh, Neil, what are you drinking? I don't want to forget you this time. Oh, no. Thank you for not forgetting me. I'm drinking uh, a Hellas from Casey Beer. <gasps> I love that oh, style. So good. So much. I love that style very much. From from what brewery? I'm sorry. Casey Beer Company. Mm. It's fabulous. Yum. And Josh? Uh, bourbon. Good. <laughs> Nice, nice work, nice work. Proper, proper reporter. Wait, Andy, what wait, are you wait, drinking? Wait. You can't just say bourbon. That's like saying ale. What are you drinking? Old Forester. Nice, nice. Is I it mixed with a little Goose Island? Uh, a negative, negatory on that one. Uh, I would, I will say, I, uh, my folks, as I mentioned before, arrived earlier today, and my stepfather was uh, needed a uh, beer the second he got out of the car so we've we've already cracked and shared about five beers this evening hence i I switched to bourbon so yeah just i've done my part just even it out for the podcast we appreciate that uh i am drinking down now as i said i am i am so tired of drinking oktoberfest (laughs) that uh is it just turns my stomach at the moment i am now moved on to three floyd's barbarian haze ipa um How's that? Uh, it's it's not the it's not the greatest, but you know what? I'm just so happy to have three Floyds in in Boston that I am I'm willing, you know, with the inability to Man, travel. Man, they are just year, happy to have your money. I'm that's fine. I'm willing to give it to them. So it's it, it is working for me. Now with this interlude complete, let's get back to my. Question. Oh, can I ask Andy how how fresh is that? What's the date on that beer? The date on this, um, <laughs> you would want to know that but they actually do not label their can. Uh, oh, bad. Bad Floyd's. Uh, bad Floyd's. Yeah. I think they label one What does can, Neil have to say about that? One can uh, out of the six pack, which is super helpful. So this, and this one was not it. So no idea. Is that a thing, Neil? Putting one a date code on one can of the six pack? That doesn't make sense. Because when you when you're date coding cans, I've worked in packaging. I, I don't see how you would do that. Uh, is it is it ink jetted on the top of the? I, I after they're yeah pack- on the pack tech yeah yeah that's oh. this is uh, this is going to make riveting radio. But uh, <laughs> um, I have I I know I, 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 I love the letters that we're going to get where it's like three Floyds doesn't even distribute to Massachusetts, Andy. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. 
So we look forward to those and uh, you've got cheers. some editing to do to this podcast. Che- cheers to my cheers to my friends at, at three Floyds there, but uh, I'm just happy to have it here. And the gumball head is upstairs or I would be drinking that, but here's the lightning round first lightning round question for folks. And I guess we will start with, uh, I guess we'll just start with Josh. Do you think GABF is going to happen in 2021? No. Neil. No. Carla. No. John. No. In I, person, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, also this the sad version of what they tried this year. Hopefully, I don't know that they can do that Oof. again. So, but uh, yeah, I agree. I don't think I don't think that's. I think we all agree. As someone in the events industry, no. Yeah. They have to. They, so much advanced planning has to go into that, and <laughs> as someone who start at a point when we will definitely still not be out of this thing. Yeah. yeah. I'll do a follow-up. Do you think, do any of you think it'll happen in 2022? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I'll say yes. Okay. Yes. I like the positivity. Do you think Craft Brewers Conference will happen in 2022? Yes. Okay. I like, I like that. I like that. Um, Minneapolis. We got, we got to go to Minneapolis. <gasps> I'm, Minneapolis. Oh, I'll meet you guys there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm for it. Do we think that uh, the, the, sort of hegemony of hazy beer will continue post-pandemic. Oh, yes. 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 Go away, hazy beer. <laughs> okay. So this, if, if we've seen anything, it's that the trends are continuing, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, ever, there was some question very early on, is seltzer going to continue its dominance? Well, it, it, it is. Yeah. As long as the supply chains of the raw ingredients that make that style possible are intact, yes, that's going to continue. Do we think that, uh, that we will see anything like 10 or 20% of craft breweries close by the time we get on the other side of pandemic? Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm, I'm a no on that too. I, I think, uh, I think there's some real resilience there, uh, with people pivoting to packaging uh, and based on what we've already seen compared to to the rest of hospitality. I mean, I disagree only because I think that there are a lot of people that ended up overextended right before this year. Uh, that's the thing is that if it was like if we knew this was coming then people would be conservative but a lot of people had a great 2019 and they laid down money for 2020 and that's the that's the rub i i, I think 10 20 percent at you know attrition here is is conservative I yeah. think and there's we, also a lot of we folks who, who got into it for a huge roi and, well that too <laughs> Yeah. You know, no, and, and 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 if they're not going to see those numbers, uh, it it's not worth it to them uh, because they got into it for you know some people might argue the wrong reasons, but yeah, yeah, I I think uh, I think it's going to be worse than what we than what it is now, right? But if if we were going to see numbers that high, we would have already seen more closings than we're seeing now. We'll see. I, I guess the, the one yeah. after. Uh, I don't know, Neil. I want to talk to you on January on. one. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. You know. I'm, when they close the book, winter could be tough. I mean, mm-hmm. well, I, I, the next three months may be more instructive than the last six months. Well, because just because of the weather, but we, you know, we'll see. 
I think those are those are that's a key observation. I think yeah. you know that, and I, we'll see where things go. But I actually as as sort of you know pessimistic as I was a few months ago. I think I am actually in the more optimistic side. I think these breweries have learned to sort of cut things to the bone, and you know they lived. You know some of these breweries have have gone on for you know only been open for a few years now, and they've only known really good times. Now I think they're learning to be a lot more lean. And I think they'll hopefully come out the other side of this uh, a lot leaner, a lot smarter, a lot savvier about how to how to run tighter operations. And I'm not someone who's necessarily given to the optimistic viewpoint, and certainly is more given mm-hmm. to a contrarian one. But I think I'm actually a little bit surprised with how things have gone, and I I think I tend to be a little bit more on the optimistic side. I put it at maybe a five percent or under total total uh, attrition in the industry. But I'm interested to see uh, see where this goes. Um, okay, what's the uh, I had other questions. Where are they? Here we go. Um, where is you know what's the first brewery that you want to go to when things open back up? Allegash. Allegash. They closed their tasting room for people, so it's only drive-through now. I want to just hang out there and drink all the beer. Josh, I know I'll you don't leave Allegash. I know too, you don't leave your house, it, but yeah, come up to well, No, I, I look forward to leaving my house again, which is why, it's like, when I when I think about the answer to that question, it involves travel. And yeah. uh, in addition to writing about beer at the Tribune, I was also the travel writer for 10 years. That no longer exists at the Tribune. Fortunately, there's beer and the restaurant industry. Uh, but yeah, I really look forward. I mean, just that, that intersection of beer and travel, it, it, we've all had those moments where you're just, yeah. you're somewhere far from home and you're in this tap room in this place that isn't home, but it still feels so, you know, you're connected by the thing in your glass and the experience you're having, which is familiar, but unique. And yeah, I, I, I can't wait to travel somewhere and go to a fantastic tap room and drink some weird, awesome beer and Allagash is as good as any. And I do love Portland, Maine. You're here because the travel thing, like I, I used to love just traveling for work and then, you know, asking Twitter, Twitter randomly, like, Hey, where should I go and get beer? And they would like, immediately bomb me with like 20 places 20 recommendations for the same place like cohere <laughs> and it was great it was fabulous i just love that i miss that a lot yeah i would i would uh kind of uh, you know same sentiment here i i used to travel about every other week and you know uh and so I'm used to going to a lot of other breweries and with what I'm doing right now, I'm still visiting breweries, not in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've been to several breweries over, you know, a lot of the local breweries over the past Mm -hmm. several months. Uh, I'd I'd say if I had to to peg one, it would be dovetail because dovetail in Chicago, because uh, I travel to Chicago a lot with, uh, with my role with Cicerone uh, and I haven't been to Chicago in a while and I used to go there, be there on a really regular basis. And, and you know, Dovetail is like right by the Cicerone office. Yep. And I've got yeah. friends that work there. And, and it's, you know, it's just kind of, it feels like home to me. It feels like home away from home. So it would be, it would feel like things are back to normal again, if I can go into Dovetail and, and you know, drink a lager beer. 
That John? is pretty much my favorite Chicago brewery right now. Yeah, I've, I've spent more money there during the pandemic than anywhere, and that gets back to that whole lager thing. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they're just they do such wonderful work. Yeah. I I have a whole bunch of United flight credits, so I feel like I need to go up to the jet port and yeah. then uh, fly out to O'Hare and then uh, to visit Allagash and then dovetail, obviously. But um, for for me, a, a brewery out outside of my normal uh, region here, I, I want to get back down to Nashville uh, and Yazoo Brewing, uh, mm. where uh, you know it, that feels like a second home to me as well. I've known the owners there for a long time. I know the bartenders. Uh, I know the brewers. Uh, and uh, <laughs> back in January, um, I, I had made a joke when I was visiting uh, around New Year's that, like, you know, I wanted my own bar stool. And so there's actually a plaque on the back of one of the no. stools with my name. Yeah, it, with, with yeah. my name on it. Uh, and I, I haven't had a chance to put my ass in it yet. So uh, that's that's where I'd like to go and just drink some whatever lagers they have on and you know drink some pale ales and you know everything else in between uh but uh yeah yazoo in 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 nashville is uh i think where i'm gonna make a beeline for when i can travel again right after pandemic or right before pandemic started i had had a lot of travel plans you know obviously through beer edge we had had a lot of travel plans through coming up and, so you know, many. where I was planning on going was going back home to Chicago for some time and going up to Minneapolis and some other places. So this really hit at a point where I hadn't really traveled much in a couple of months um, due to work and other things here. So I really kind of missed the, the window on that. But I would second and third going back to Chicago, sitting at Dovetail. They have been killing me with, you know, great social media work. Uh, and photos and, and over the last few months and Josh, you know, you know, tweeting out his, you know, his beer order, you know, receipts. Uh, and, and it just, it just looks, you know, a glass of Hellas, you know, a tall, beautiful glass of Hellas at the bar there would be just about perfect. And I've been having some fever dreams lately, just about, you know, walking quiet streets in Bomberg and, and in town, small towns in Bavaria, but I would just take, you know, take a, you know, a lager or an alt beer sitting at the sitting at the counter there in in uh, in, in Dovetail in Chicago. Or frankly, I would be happy to be in a Bennigan's in Shreveport at this point. You know, I will take I will take what, whatever whatever I can do. But uh, I certainly greatly appreciate everybody being on today. And uh, you know, we've been we've gone quite a long time here, but it's good to hear familiar faces and and hear the voices of friends and. Uh, I think I speak for all of us when I say you know, I can't wait to raise a glass with all of you in person, whether it's at a dive bar in Portland singing karaoke. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Josh, Josh Noel, like what, what is what is your go go to song? What would you sing at karaoke? Oh, I actually did Hungry Like the Wolf for a while. Yeah. Uh, wow. Duran Duran. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love Duran Duran. I love Rio in particular. That that is a pretty much a flawless record. Uh, I think I might give a give a shot at Human Nature though by Michael Jackson. Ooh, I like that. I like you. You have wow. given this some thought. I am. I am very impressed. You with had that in the chamber. Like that, that's one of those things like where you've just been waiting years for somebody to ask you this question. Well, I got to tell you, you have not. I, lived I, I, I I believe in the karaoke. I, I will be honest. Yes. You have not 
you have not lived till you have seen uh, John Hall do Mac the Knife yes. and, and Neil, Neil sing metal and Carla's great. And uh, so we're going to, we're going to all get up to the jet board in Portland um, and, and get out on the town sometime soon. Got but I want to thank, thank everybody for joining us. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, pal. Thank you. Thank you guys. It's great talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Beer Edge podcast. My partner, John Hall, and I work hard to bring you fresh and insightful content related to the ever-changing world of craft beer. We're passionate about beer and independent journalism. If you're interested in supporting Beer Edge, visit our website, beeredge.com, which is updated regularly with new content, interviews, and articles. Please also consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your episodes. You can also subscribe to the Beer Edge newsletter on our website. Is there anyone you think that we should be talking to? Please drop us a line at andy at beeredge.com with your thoughts. Thanks for your support. Go to arrive.com to set up a free, customized demo with an arrived consultant and see how a point of sale can make all the difference in your guest experience, staff satisfaction, and bottom line. Chances are, a switch to arrive will save you time, money, and a whole lot of headaches. Arrive.com. That's A-R-R-Y-V-E-D.com. Because there's no I in Arrived.